For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey, welcome back to Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, a Lee Enterprises podcast. I'm your host, Nat Cardona. On this podcast, you'll hear true crime stories as told by journalists from regional newspapers across the country. On the next set of episodes, we sift through many details of the 2012 disappearance and death of six-year-old Isabel Celis and the 2014 kidnapping and murder of Maribel Gonzalez. You'll be hearing from Arizona Daily Star reporter Caitlin Schmidt, but first we travel back to April 25th of 2012, shortly after Isabel first went missing. Here's a tidbit from one of the Daily Star's first articles on this case. Specially trained FBI profilers have been called to aid in the search for a Tucson girl missing for five days. Tucson police have also contacted law enforcement agencies in Arizona and across the nation to discuss cases that are similar or have a similar MO. Isabel was last seen by her parents at 11 p.m. April 21st when she was put to bed. Her father discovered she was missing the next morning. Police completed a search of the Celis home in the 5600 block of East 12th Street near East Broadway and South Craycroft Road at about 1.30 a.m. Tuesday, but would not comment on what was found. Thousands of flyers were passed out. Landfills were searched as well as lakes and basins. Isabel's parents, Sergio and Becky Celis, had come under some criticism for not speaking to the media or the public in an effort to find their six-year-old daughter. More and more money poured into the search effort, but no more leads for years. Now we're in 2014. This is two years after Isabel first went missing. Another young girl, Maribel Gonzalez, who was 13 at the time, told her mother she was going to a friend's house on June 3, 2014. Three days later, her body was found near West Avra Valley Road by a Pima County Sheriff's deputy responding to a call about suspicious activity. A few days after her body was discovered, a Pima County medical examiner ruled the death a homicide by unspecified means. So now we're in the same year, 2014, and we're going back to Isabel's case. Police had re-canvassed her neighborhood and went to over 300 homes, conducted over 40 interviews in Tucson and other cities in Arizona and California, Texas and Washington. Then again, cold. Not a whole lot of action. Then comes March of 2017. Isabel's body was found in a rural area of Pima County, nearly five years after she disappeared. And at that point, police chief Chris Magnus had said it wasn't by happenstance that they found her body. An autopsy later that year confirmed that it was a homicide. The bones that were recovered were redacted from the autopsy report, but what was included was a chart of a human skeleton to show part of a pelvis and several skull bones that were darker in color than the rest of the body. And that's where I'll stop for now. Let's head into my interview with reporter Caitlin Schmidt and her coverage of these cases. So just to kick things off, kind of a funny question. I know in the email between my producer, um, myself, yourself, and our other producer, you mentioned uh, you mentioned something like, "Yeah, I was I was just talking to somebody named Jill about like this should be a podcast." Where did that enthusiasm come from? 
Um, we, I wrapped up this trial, well, this, this last trial, they declared a mistrial on the day of the author's dinner for the Tucson Festival of Books that we have down here. And um, like everybody that knew about the trial kept coming up to me and being like, I can't believe that happened. And so these authors, like New York Times bestselling authors that were at our table asked what they were talking about. And I gave them the elevator speech and they're like, why isn't that a podcast yet? I totally listened to that. I'm like, it should be a podcast. They're right. So, I mean, if, you know, people who we had authors from around the world there and if they were interested in it, you know, with very little context, I figured the general public probably would be. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I am a crime, uh, I don't know, aficionado. I really love all this stuff. I just digest anything that's in my way. Um, yeah, I was surprised when I Googled it this morning. I was like, not even some of the most popular podcasts have done anything about either case. So it's, it is pretty bizarre. And it was a huge deal. Like it was national news um, when Isabel Sellis went missing in 2012. Like Nancy Grace wouldn't leave it alone. And we had, I mean, CNN descended on us down here and everything. So it really was surprising to me that when they finally put her alleged killer on trial, it was the local news only covering it. There was no one else. The AP didn't even send anyone. Yeah, that's that, that's nuts. And, and we'll get into that. I mean, this whole thing, especially even the, the the most current events are just I was reading all of the the articles that you wrote that my producer sent me last night and I'm like reading 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 I get to the end I'm like what the f like what is yeah. going on here so um just to back up here could you tell me a little bit about yourself your journalism background and what landed you at the Tucson Daily Star definitely yeah um journalism was not my first career um I actually moved out here in 2003 and went to nursing school and loved nursing school um but did not love nursing. Um, so a friend of mine suggested that I should, um, join her at this new restaurant and start bartending and I would make way more money and it would be like way less stressful. And she was indeed right. But that obviously was not a career or a long-term plan for me. So I figured that journalism school, um, would be a good option. I always liked writing. I, I did some stuff with the school paper in high school. And so I went back to journalism school and I started apprenticing with the Arizona Daily Star, I think my junior year, um, I signed on as our health apprentice, which was very convenient since I had that nursing school education, mm -hmm. um, and then did an independent study. And then I spent a summer at CNN on their digital features desk, um, which kind of changed the course of my career. I had really thought up until that point in time that I wanted to be covering national news somewhere, but it was so hard for me to live in a city like Atlanta for three months and not write about it. Um, you know, their, their scope for what merits national coverage was... Uh, I, I mean, it was very broad, but also very narrow at times. This was the summer that Ebola was happening and it just, it was tough. So I came back to Tucson and went back to the star and told them that I wanted to uh, start working there. And when I graduated, the only job open was a daytime cops reporter. So I did that for the first few years. Um, I did Tuesday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. and uh, covered all the murder and mayhem and all that good stuff. And like my last year doing that, was kind of where uh, this case got started, which was interesting, but I didn't know that I would be revisiting it six years later as I bounced around from beat to beat to beat. Right, um, right. Yeah, so so uh, that's, that's kind of where I've been um, these past 10 years or so. <laughs> Ever since. We need to take a quick break, so don't go too far. So tell me about the time that you 
met up with this case, that this case came across your desk? Um, what was your first interaction with this? So I was in journalism school um, when Isabel Celis went missing in 2012. I wasn't working at the Star yet. I was in class. But, you know, as consumers of the news, it was impossible. It was impossible to not know what was going on. And even if you weren't a news consumer, um, there were missing child posters on billboards, on bus benches, on the sides of buses. I mean, you had to live under a rock here in 2012 to not know that this little girl had been taken from her bedroom in the middle of the night. So, you know, it kind of, the case kind of went cold after that for a while. There was there was no definitive suspects and it, it got put on the back burner. But then in March of 2017, um, when I was still on the cop's beat, uh, the police announced that they had found her remains, which was big news. And I ended up covering um, the funeral, which was a really big deal down here. And after that, you know, I, I kind of thought that was the end of it. They had found the remains, but there was no information about how, how they found them or if there was a suspect. And we kind of thought that was the end of it. And I moved on to another beat and started covering local government. And then in September of 2018, uh, the good old Tucson Police Department on Friday evening told us that there would be a press conference on Saturday morning, which you know is a huge deal, right? If, they, if they're gonna hold it on the weekend, it's gotta be something big. So we heard some rumblings that it had something to do with this case and um, staffed a little extra and showed up at that press conference. And that was when they announced that they had um, arrested this Christopher Clements person in connection with not just Isabel Salas's disappearance, but also the death of a teenage girl that had gone missing and been found um, a couple years after Isabel. So, that still was one of the craziest days of my career. I mean, we hooked it back to the newsroom really fast. The only thing they told us about this guy was that he had a lengthy criminal record. And I spent the next eight or nine hours in front of a computer going state by state, trying to piece together on a Saturday where no courts were open, this man's life and did, did a pretty solid job. We got an 18 year history um, starting when he was a teenager in Oregon and followed him from state to state and put together put together a pretty um, comprehensive history of where this guy had been and what he had done. And and some of the details in there were were really terrible. Like he was out on um, he was out on parole or probation at one point when one of the girls went missing. I mean, he was supposed to have been supervised, but this was a person that just kind of seemed to fall through the cracks. Um, and seemingly got away with murder until uh, he inserted himself into this case. Yeah, the when I was reading through your articles of the, the details of him being out in the the small frame of time that he was out to be able to do those acts, the terrible acts. I was like, what the hell? Next time on Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, we go deeper into the connections between these two young girls' cases and the man on trial for their murders. If you like what we do here at Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.